Kieran O'Rourden, who is the executive director of the End Software Patents Campaign. Uh, comes to us from a very long background of fighting software patents in Europe uh, with FSF Europe and on his own, and uh, also being a really important part of the GPLv3 process. I'm sure a lot of you saw the work that he did while that was going on. So welcome, Kieran. It's uh, nice to actually feel welcome because uh, for many years I was like the boogeyman at conferences. People would come and present their software and they'd show what new features they, they'd coded in the last year. And then I'd come along and I'd say, software patents. I have to tell everyone to be scared. So, um, <laughs> so I do feel welcome. And uh, when I started out working on software patents, I was working in Ireland. And in Ireland, a group of us, we formed a group just to, or an organization just to work specifically on software patents. It was called the Irish Free Software Organization. And some people like our t-shirts. Uh, we have a, a GNU playing a harp. So, that, so. so my, yeah, my background, I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a legal expert. I'm a computer programmer by trade. Uh, or at least I was until I started getting interested in software patents. Uh, so what this means is that I'm not a general spokesperson on software patents. So sometimes people ask me for you know, my opinion on the TomTom Tom case or will Bilski go to the Supreme Court, and usually I don't know these things. I'm, I'm a programmer. Uh, what I do know is what I saw in the European Parliament, because I was working on this between 2003 and 2005, and just from the general lobbying that we did during that and a bit after as well. So... This is the first positive talk I've given about software patents. Things are, things are going well uh, recently. The most decisive battles in the last few years have been in the EU, the Bilski case, and India. So in the EU, very briefly, what happened was that there was a proposal to have software patents, and we fought back and forth for what was actually eight years in total, and in the end, the entire proposal was just scrapped. So it was all that work for nothing, but at least we showed that we could match the, the effort of the pro-software patent campaigners, and we gained a lot of political support, and we showed that we can actually perform in this, this arena and that we, you know, we, we can actually be involved in the legislative procedures. And it was also impressive from one other way, because... In Europe, we didn't really have structures working on software patents. Not, not big structures, at least. It wasn't organized. We used to read Slashdot, and we'd read about crazy patents in the USA, and we, we thought that was hilarious. And uh, then it landed on our coast. And, uh, but it was, it was amazing. Very quickly, there was a movement created, and you know, we, we managed to actually be effective. So that was, that was impressive. So then the, the second major decision was the Bilski case. And I didn't actually follow the Bilski case because another thing in Europe is we thought that, oh, it's pointless in the USA. That'll be the last country to, to get rid of software patents. Uh, so we were really happy when, when, when I read the, the results of the Bilski case. It was, it's, it's, very, it's, very, uh, it's very useful. And the, the U.S. Uh, Board of Appeals is now actually overturning uh, certain patents, mostly IBM patents, based on the Bilski decision. So it really does have a, a concrete uh, outcome. So when we declare victory, it's not just a, a political victory because everyone has to declare victory in politics. It's, it's actually a real victory. And it doesn't just affect the USA because... A lot of uh, software businesses are global, and the TomTom -tom case is a good example because 
TomTom is a country, a company in the Netherlands, uh, but the litigation is happening in the US because, well, that's the, the court that Microsoft has filed the documents at, and Microsoft has contacted the, uh, the International Trade Commission to ask for a block on TomTom's products. So even for European companies, uh, what hap- happens in the USA is important. And a second reason is that countries around the world, when they're uh, talking about their patent policy, are usually asked to uh, harmonize with the rest of the world, and the rest of the world usually means the USA. So the, the Bilski case is important for, for, for people all around the world. And the third example, the third big decision was in India, and most people don't even know uh, that there was a big decision in India. I think it was 2005. There was a proposal uh, to change the legislation to have software patents, and there was a mad battle for uh, maybe three weeks, and the media discussed it for about a week and a half, and then the parliament decided, yeah, that is a bad idea. Let's not have software patents. And in Europe, we were left scratching our heads wondering, what just happened there? <laughs> it, it took us eight years to do that. <laughs> uh, so we, we feel kind of inefficient now. <laughs> but the, the lack of awareness of what happened in India uh, kind of means that there's, there's a gap, there's something not ha- happening right in the communication. So, uh, okay, so I'm working for End Software Patents now, and that's a, a campaign, it's a, a slightly separate project from FSF, but the funding has come from FSF. Uh, however, software patents, it's, it has to be made clear that it's not a free software issue because we don't want people to think adopting free software means you now have a software patent problem. No, software patents, uh, they're a threat to all different types of users of so- software. Uh, for, now, there are some problems that free software developers have. Uh, for example, we can't get a license per copy or you know, per user to, for a, a patent. So in that way, uh, software patents cause a particular problem for free software. But in other ways, uh, we, we have certain advantages. For example, our development is distributed. Uh, a lot of our development is by volunteers, so there aren't big pots of gold that litigators can, can look at. Uh, and another thing is that because free software can be edited by anyone, if there's a problem with one part of an application, you don't have to take the whole application off the market or tell people don't use the application. We can just take out that one infringing part and the rest of the application can continue to, to be used by as many people as possible. So it's, you know, there, there are pluses and minuses for free software in software patents, but it's, it's not at all a free software problem. And this has been confirmed by the, the previous executive director of End Software Patents, Ben Clemens. He did a study of how software patents are impacting uh, American companies, and he uh, found that the litigation uh, is, is costing American companies $11.2 billion, and the, the most, of the, most of the companies being litigated against it's, it's not free software companies. It's not even software companies. It's uh, car manufacturers. It's food companies. It's any any big company, any company with a pot of gold in the bank. Because, because the point that Ben Clemens highlighted is that every company is a software company. Every company has a few programmers down in the basement that keep the email servers working, that make a website, that give you options to interact with your clients. And every company that does this is, without knowing it, is... In, in the software business, and they're, they're the biggest targets. It's not free software, it's non-software companies are the biggest targets for software patents. So this means that they should be doing the work, not me. Uh, so why aren't they? Now, this is, uh, this is the problem. There are three categories of people, that, three main categories, uh, that will fight against software patents. 
now or in the future. There is the free software community, there is the small companies in general, and there is non-software companies. Now, in Europe, we got a lot of help from the small companies. They have unions, and the unions talk to the politicians, and they tell the politicians that software patents are too expensive, completely unusable, uh, it doesn't work with small companies. In America, uh, from what I've heard, that isn't happening so much. The small companies, they're all business partners of the the mega corporations, uh, and and so they're scared of annoying their business partners. In Europe, the same small companies are also business partners of mega corporations, so there's something missing there. I don't know why the European companies aren't afraid of the same thing, but uh, we, you know, we, we should get the, the SMEs uh, active on this, and we should also get the, the non-software companies active on this. We just have to first convince them and, and explain to them uh, that they are at risk and that many other companies have already been targeted. So in the, in the long term, hopefully the end, the end software patents campaign will, be, will rely on uh, small, small businesses making small donations and big non-software companies making big donations. However, that's not happening yet, so at the moment we're mostly relying on the free software community to kind of bootstrap the campaign. But you know, even if we rely on the free software community, this isn't a, a specifically free software uh, problem. So... Uh, what we're focusing on is either changing the legislation or getting uh, new results in the in the courts. Now, there have been a lot of discussions about other ways of uh, reducing the software patent problem. Uh, in general, these have not been effective. You know, they, they sometimes have uh, small benefits or they work in small sectors, but in general, they, they will not solve the software patent problem. Uh, I can briefly mention uh, one idea is patent pools. All our friends put their pool and patents into a pool, and then you know if uh, a big bully attacks us, we can say, well, we have patents too. Uh, but the problem is, of course, most of our friends, they have patent agreements already with the, uh, with the other patent holders uh, agreeing uh, not to sue each other. And also with, when our friends put patents into a pool saying we won't use these against free software, well... You know, it's our friends putting the, soft, the software patents in there, and we weren't afraid of our friends suing us, so it's not a, not a big comfort. Uh, we can review patents. We can look for prior art. Uh, we can look for patents that are too obvious to exist. Yeah, that, that can be useful. It's you know, very slow, very expensive, but it can be useful. Sometimes if there's a particularly annoying patent, we can get rid of that. Uh, but in general, it can't solve the problem. And the TomTom case is an example. TomTom have been accused of violating eight software patents. Uh, I think three of them are so- sorry, eight, eight patents. I think three of them are software patents. And they're patents that we know, well, we're very confident would be overturned in a court. It's the the Microsoft FAT patents. However, they might be overturned in a court. But what's to say that if these three or all eight were overturned, well, Microsoft has 10,000 software patents or 10,000 patents. What's to say that Microsoft won't just dig into their vault again and dig out another eight and say, well, okay, you don't infringe those eight. Do you infringe these eight? And this process can go on. So in general, to get rid of the problem, we, we have to have zero software patents. Another problem with quality is that some software patents are good quality. Uh, the ORSA algorithm, uh, the MP3 encoding algorithm, uh, public key encryption, you know, th- these were, were patented in various jurisdictions. However, you know, they, there's no way you can go to a patent office and say, you know, th- this, is, this is a terrible idea, it was completely obvious. So uh, trying to overturn them that way, is, it's very unlikely to work. Or it's not going to work 
completely. And one last option is that our licenses, we can, like in the GPLv3 process, uh, we negotiated various clauses that could be added to GPLv3 to protect free, some free software users from the patents of companies that distribute GPLv3 software. But this can only work against, this only protects us against companies who are distributing GPLv3 software, you know, many of which are already our friends, so there was no problem in the first place. Uh, and also the, the clause, you know, it couldn't be made, uh, th there were limits to how strong it could be because the stronger you make it, the more afraid, afraid the patent holders are going to be to distribute GPLv3 software. So with our licenses, we can only fix a very small amount, a very small category of the problem. So some people wonder why we're focusing on software patents. You know, how, how can you uh, draw a line between different types of patents? Uh, one of the most important things is the tactical reasons, because if we uh, if we extend the the, uh, the theory and decide that actually uh, software patents are, are bad and all so all patents are probably bad, what we do is then as well as having Microsoft against us, which is enough work, we also have the chemicals industry and the auto industry and the the pharmaceutical industry against us, and this is more work than we can handle. So. In general, we, we take a position on software patents, but we, we don't take a position on pharmaceutical patents. Maybe pharmaceutical patents are bad, maybe they're good. That's just not our area. Uh, another problem is that the in other areas, for example, pharmaceuticals, sometimes the uh, organizations that we think would be our natural allies, like the gener generics uh, companies in pharmaceuticals, sometimes they don't like our policy because we're, we want no software patents. But in the generics industry, a lot of the time they just want to talk about the length of patents or the, the, how much damages you get or how clear they should be. You know, our solution doesn't naturally apply to their work. So we're, we, we've done the research on software. We're sure that software patents are a bad idea. So we're focusing on uh, getting rid of software patents. So the way ESP is going to work is in, under Ben Clemens, uh, ESP worked on the Bilski case, which was extremely important. And Ben also did an economic study uh, of the cost of, of software patents to American industry. And so th these were very focused projects. And now we're going to try and step, up, step back a bit and look at uh, the look at all the projects that are happening regarding software patents and try to make all that information available to the other projects. Because when I look back at the EU, it's only been uh, four or five years, but already the, the fantastic documents that we had at the time, they're starting to disappear. They're, you know, the websites are changing. Uh, some news sites are disappearing. And it's, it's very hard to find these documents. Some of the documents were only distributed in a mailing lists that don't even have a public archive. So what we're going to do is we're going to try and put all this information together on a website and make it accessible so that the, the information in the EU is accessible to America and Australia and New Zealand and everywhere else, and the information from Bilski is available to these as well so that other campaigns don't have to start from zero. They can, they can build on what's already, already been done. So the, the, main, the first thing we're going to be putting online will be a wiki, and this will be in English first and hopefully then in, in other languages soon after. But that, that will be publicly modifiable and we'll, we'll, we hope that we'll be able to gather the information from all parts of the world and different points of view and we'll be able to put it into some categorized format that makes it easily accessible. Uh, then we'll start doing mail, uh, e just uh, an email alert uh, may maybe once a week 
uh, on what's coming up in the next, in, in the in the short or midterm future, what needs to be worked on, uh, what what uh, new events have taken place, and we'll we'll put a, a blog and a news site online as well. There will be more court cases in the U.S. Uh, not, not in the very short term, but uh, there will also be new developments in the EU and there are other developments in South Africa and New Zealand that we're aware of. Uh, however, we will not work on all of these or when we do work on them, they, they won't be the 100% focus because what we're going to try to do is work on each project but always with a view to documenting everything, all the steps, so that our work on each project becomes a uh, becomes a whole that, that uh, is more useful for, for future campaigns. So rather than uh, end software patents can currently afford to employ one person, uh, one person can be useful. I, I, I don't want to reduce my effectiveness, but one person can't do all the work, so it's more important to try and make a platform so that other people can get active. Uh, one thing we'll have to do is we'll have to build a, you know, a, a team, a working group for doing lobbying in the USA. We have you know, I have experience in the EU. We have some experience with the Bilski case that, that will be useful as well. Uh, but we, we still need to build a, a group of activists that will uh, be able to, for example, find a contact in, in the Senate whenever they're discussing the Patent Reform Act. And some good news on this is that the <coughs> League for Programming Freedom, which has been active on this fight against software patents since uh, 19, 1991, 89? Okay, a long time. Okay. Um, so the, the League for Programming Freedom is getting active again. Uh, so they have a, a website, progfree.org, and uh, so hopefully you know, we'll be able to work with them uh, as well as other groups and get uh, a team active in America. And in general, the idea will be to have a, a global coordination because so far all the campaigns have been you know, focused on the EU, focused on Bilski. Uh, however, you know, it's about time we actually started coordinating on a global level because I'm pretty sure Microsoft has been coordinating their patent policy on this level for a long time. Uh, so some people have asked me, how can information from you know, any one specific jurisdiction be useful on a global level? The legislation regarding software patents is usually quite vague because most patent legislation was written uh, 30 years ago and it was written you know, before modern technologies existed. Uh, a lot of it is based on the, the International TRIPS Agreement, which is a, has a very vague wording. So often the, the wordings that exist in various jurisdictions, they're open to interpretation. So even if uh, in America the court case you know, should have been a, a legal issue. You know, it's about deciding what does the law say. And that's the theory, but in practice, you know, the law is vague enough, and that the uh, interests can can be regard can be looked at, and people can decide: is it a good idea? Not just is it. What does the law say? So, in this way, the legislation is is vague, and we're going to have. Uh, we have a lot of legal wordings that were developed during the Bilski case and during other campaigns, which can be useful. For example, you know, we decided that uh, to be patentable, an invention has to use forces of nature or it has to use applied natural science or it has to have significant uh, post-production post output. There are, there are various wordings, and they mightn't fit into every jurisdiction, but it's a good starting point for uh, to give people ideas for what wording might work in in New Zealand or in Canada or in, in a future court case in the USA.
One important thing is that we always have to avoid saying that software is technical, and that seems a little bit uh, counterintuitive, but the, the TRIPS agreement, which most countries in the world have signed up to, says that inventions in, the field, in fields of technology are patentable. So in Europe, we, we have to all the time talk about how software is not technical. So it, it takes a little bit of uh, linguistic gymnastics, but uh, it's just something you have to keep in mind from the start. So hopefully with a website making these issues clear, we can, ho we can help lobbyists or campaigners uh, avoid making the mistakes that, that we made in the early days in Europe. Uh, so th this way, we, uh, we, we managed to make use of campaigns whether they've succeeded or not. Whether a campaign is, uh, has been effective or not, we can always look at the legal wordings and, and you know, put them on a website and you know, contribute all these, thing, all these, these ideas so that uh, something that failed in one jurisdiction could be improved and it might, might work in another jurisdiction. Uh, we also want to do examinations of uh, some specific examples, and uh, I'll just give two examples of in innovations that uh, one that should be patentable and one that shouldn't be patentable. Uh, the one that could be patentable is anti-lock braking. Uh, this is the, the car industry came to Europe. Uh, the, the car industry from Asia came to Europe and argued for software patents because they said they have brakes, they have a computer, and they have software. And they don't change the brakes, and they don't change the computer. They just change the software, and all of a sudden they have anti-lock braking systems. And so they said, well, this is obviously a software patent, and you're against software patents, so we're against you. So we had to work through the example, and we managed to uh, explain that actually, no, this isn't, this isn't a software patent. Uh, it's being implemented in software, but the patent, the innovation is on how the brakes are being used. It happens to be controlled by software in your implementation, but you know you could uh, it could be done manually or there, there would be theoretically other ways of doing it it 's not necessarily a software patent, so this is a breaking patent, and we have to tell the car industry okay you know, you, you don 't have to fight against us uh, we 're not trying to invalidate your your car patents but it was difficult at first for the politicians to understand so i 've got a question there. Yeah. Theoretically, maybe. So if a rich enough person starts doing that with their foot, I think he should be worried. <laughs> so, another question. Have you thought of somebody taking a software algorithm and embedding it into firmware or hardware? Well, what what they could do is they could claim the the whole uh, the whole thing as an invention, but that wouldn't stop us from just taking the software idea and implementing the software idea on our general purpose computers. So, yeah, at one point before software patents kicked in, you actually, if you wanted to patent software, had to patent it by describing it as hardware, which then made it very easy to invalidate. Yeah, in, in Europe, we had computer-implemented inventions instead of software patents, it's, it's, uh, which Microsoft always claims are on a, a limited-resource computer. So I, I think they might be eligible for a patent if they managed to invent a, a non-limited-resource computer. I think that would be quite an innovation. I think one thing to keep in mind is that the real difference is how you describe this to the patent Thank you. 
business method makes a big difference to that now. Yeah. Um, that's why terminology is very important and, and how you, uh, how these things are described in legal terms is very and that's that's one of the fundamental problems with soft with software patents is that software is just so abstract that it's possible to describe it in so many ways, and it's very difficult to uh, have any clear patents on software. Another question. There are people who say that the Bilski case didn't actually change anything. Is it your opinion that it did? Absolutely. No, there's, there have already been five software patents that have been overturned based on the, the Bilski case. So it's, you know, it's clear that it has, uh, it has made a difference. What was the nature of the change? The Bilski case introduced a, a new test uh, which excluded, um, which basically required that there is some kind of activity. Uh, I, think it, I think it might have even said physical activity, significant physical activity uh, in the innovation. So this would mean that... Uh, what are called pure software innovations are excluded. Now, the the actual wording in the Bilski uh, ruling, it's you know it's open to interpretation, so it's you know, it's not exactly clear. However, uh, the the U.S. Patent, patent Office has you know, they've rejected or they've overturned five existing software patents. So, you know, they they've decided that it's uh, it's substantial and it's um it's realistic enough that you know it's there, there are grounds for actually. Uh, rejecting software patents based on the Bilski decision. So, um, you talked about lobbying in the U.S. and uh, legislation and that sort of thing. Can you give us uh, any idea of the sort of shape that you would expect that legislation? I mean, it would probably be a little bit more complex than normal software patents, but do you know how, like, how that would be worded or how that well, it, it'll come down to the lawyers will have to go through the history of, uh, of American court rulings and, and legislation. Uh, in, in Europe, we started off by saying uh, you have to have an innovation in forces of nature uh, because in Germany there was a case law saying which said that a certain patent was rejected because there was no innovation in forces of nature. So you know, we used that because there was some precedent. Then later we, we changed our, our minds and we used applied, applied natural science. And this came from another court case. So, you know, in general, it will it will depend on the, the 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 jurisdiction. But if we if we can gather together the terminology that worked in in some in some jurisdictions, then at least we'll have a starting place. You know, we can we can look at American legislation. Does the term forces of nature have a meaning in American legislation? Maybe it does. Maybe it's very useful, or maybe we have to avoid it. You know, does applied ex- natural science have a meaning? You know, what what is the meaning? So these are. You know, it'll have to be decided at at the at the time. Um, okay, one more, one more. Uh, okay, I'm going to skip how lobbying is done. Uh, okay, no, uh, uh, very very basic things. Uh, when we're doing the lobbying, the most important thing probably is that we always have to have a list of arguments. We uh, we often have ideas for the, the perfect argument. We have ideas for, uh, example, explaining that software patents cause monopolies or software patents interfere with freedom of expression or freedom of the press. And then you can go to a politician and you can actually find politicians that uh, don't actually mind monopolies and think, well, you know, maybe it hurts our country, but it gives us a global dominance in that field. Or you, know, you have politicians that... Uh, you know, aren't really big fans of freedom of the press because you know, they got elected because they're friends with the TV executives. Uh, so there were some surprising uh, things like that. And also the politicians, 
you know, politicians don't care about software patents. You know, they, they, we have, they always link each issue into what, something they do care about. Uh, so, you know, some politicians, you know, had a history. They used to be a journalist. Uh, some worked on the coast, and they, they love, you know, they think marine boundaries are important. But, you know, what we have to do is we have to have a list of arguments. We have to have, you know, 10, 15 different things. And for each argument, we have to have studies backing them up because we can't just, I can't, you know, go to a politician and say, uh, you know, we should block software patents uh, because they're bad for small companies. And then they ask me what small companies. I say, well, it's my opinion that they block small companies. <laughs> so for each of the arguments, uh, so the arguments, you know, we have a... Uh, you know, uh, the venture capitalists are. We have venture capitalists that are against software patents. We have you know standards organizations or, or companies that need to need standards. They they find it very difficult to implement standards with software patents. Sorry, question. Sorry, I, I'm, I'm going to wait till you. Oh, I'm finished in 30 seconds. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh, it blocks innovation. It blocks free software in some ways. Free software wasn't a very good argument uh, maybe eight years ago, but free software has become very prominent nowadays. So we can actually now talk to MEPs or talk to politicians about uh, free software developers not being big fans of software patents. Uh, then the, the non-software patent companies, hopefully they'll get on board, but even still, even so, we can still go to the patent, the politicians with the, the study showing how uh, software patents are costing 11.2 billion, and that's you know, something that the politicians can understand. Uh, we can make the argument about monopolies. We can point out that patents are bureaucratic. You know, this is uh, every every software patent requires a bureaucracy in the patent office, uh, in, in litigation uh, between the companies. The legal teams have to have to uh, analyze these things. And we can also make the argument that software patents are generally bad for the economy. The the U.S. Patent Office, uh, Patents and Trademarks Office, is funded by the taxpayer, uh, plus by the people who are applying for all these patents. Uh, and the companies, such as the non-software patent companies that have paid out 11.2 billion, uh, they're the people who are, are paying for the, ta- the, the the patent system, in particular software patents. So, th- you know, this is an argument about the economy, and it mightn't be the first argument that, that we think of when we think of software patents. But we have to always have the list ready, so that when you know, whenever, whenever we get a feel for what the politician's interest is, that's how we that we pick the right argument for the politician, not our favourite argument. Okay, so uh, okay, yeah, that's that's what we're we're going to be doing. Hopefully, the wiki will go online in within the next two weeks. Hopefully, uh, there. Um, the, oh yeah, so the main theme is that we're going to try and make it possible for other people to get get involved. Uh, donations will be needed at some point. Of course, the uh, FSF is handling donations for N Software Patents, but N Software Patents does have a separate bank account and will be doing its own fundraising. So we're going to be you know, looking for help with that at some point uh, pretty soon. Uh, at currently, the, the general model of N Software Patents is pretty low cost. So you know, that's, that's our, our philosophy, but uh, we, you know, we just still, still have some costs. Uh, so, okay, last question. So the... Uh the people who push the software patents in Europe are like zombies. They don't stay dead. So, are they are they coming back? What are they? They're coming back, but. Uh, they're, they're like a bad music band. They, they've been coming back every year for the last four years. Um, are, they doing, are they doing the same thing? Or they- no, no. You see, the problem is because in Europe we were completely disorganized at the time, uh, they picked their favorite way of getting uh, software patents, and they said, okay, we'll just tell the politicians to change the legislation and everything will go smoothly, and it didn't. And now they're looking around. You know, That was their favorite method and didn't work, so... 
all the methods they're trying now, they're, they're, it's all plan B, plan C, plan D. So you know, each time they, they make an attempt, you know, it, it's, it's, not a, it's not a very strong attempt. However, if they keep on trying, eventually they're going to get there. So you know, we have to also, you know, people took a bit of a break in Europe after the, the lobbying from in 2005. Those, you know, people were a bit burned out. People were sleeping <coughs> on the floor. We actually slept many times on the floor in the parliament. It was like a, an old school hacker uh, community in, uh, in the free software community until, of course, the politicians told us, you know, there are beds in the parliament. You can just sleep in the beds if you want. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so we started... Well, there are the politicians' beds, but the politicians weren't present. That's, uh, that's not how we do our lobbying. <laughs> okay, so I think, I think I've eaten all the time. Okay, thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much. Uh, and finally, tonight we have uh, Richard Salmon president of the Free Software Foundation and founder of the GNU Project, uh, who I believe is going to cover a few different things. We have the two free software awards to hand out, the uh, award for the Free Software Project and the award for the Free Software Project of Social Benefit. Uh, and does everybody have a copy of the, the JavaScript article? If uh, anybody doesn't, we have a few more that can be handed out. Is it online? I will put it up online momentarily. Uh, but it's the one thing. That is it, yeah. It was at the registration table. we've been fighting to liberate the programs that we're invited to install on our computers. And, of course, if you get a copy of a typical GNU slash Linux distribution, it will have a long list of packages you could install, and some of them are proprietary software, which is why we can only recommend a handful of the existing GNU slash Linux distributions, the ones that are entirely free. <clears throat> but something snuck up on us on the side. It turns out that installing a package is not the only way software gets into your computer and then gets run by you. Because there are some programs that install plugins. So since several years ago, we started to campaign against the non free plugins that browsers such as Firefox invite people to install. That's why we have IceCat, which has only free plugins. The non-free plugins, it doesn't mention. <clears throat> of course, then there are other ways that your browser might invite you to install a program. For instance, some web pages say, how about installing Adobe non-free PostScript reader? <clears throat> or how about installing the non-free Flash player? So <clears throat> we've had to work very hard 
on fighting against that. But now there's another problem that we noticed. There are other non-free programs that your browser installs and runs and doesn't even mention because they're written in JavaScript and they're included in a web page. And just by looking at the web page, you run the program. <clears throat> now, sometimes it's installed temporarily and it sits in, it's in your browser just for maybe minutes. Other times it, it hangs around. You know, there could be a cache. And then there are ways that some JavaScript programs get installed semi-permanently into your browser. <clears throat> but either way, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, the program is getting installed on your machine and running there. And the browser is keeping you in the dark about this so that you don't even notice, you don't even get a chance. It's in your browser just for maybe minutes. Other times it, it hangs around. You know, there could be a cache. And then there are ways that some JavaScript programs get installed semi-permanently into your browser. <clears throat> but either way, <clears throat> as far as I'm concerned, the program is getting installed on your machine and running there. And the browser is keeping you in the dark about this so that you don't even notice, you don't even get a chance to think about whether this is what you want to have happen on your machine. <clears throat> so <clears throat> last summer I started working on how to combat this uh, pathway by which non-free software gets into our computers. <clears throat> and here you see the results. <clears throat> Basically, we had to develop a criterion for, how, for when JavaScript is non-trivial, because there's some very trivial JavaScript that can just uh, display a menu and other such things, and it would be pointless to make a fuss about that. So we had to work out a, what seems like a, an adequate criterion for non-trivial JavaScript, one that doesn't require a human being to judge, but that can be evaluated automatically. <clears throat> and then we have to propose uh, what needs to be done to cre create the infrastructure to help people refuse to run non-free, non-trivial JavaScript programs so that we can start pressuring the servers that transmit these to start freeing them up. Now, occasionally these programs are very large. <clears throat> the one that's used for Google Docs, I'm told, is half a meg in the form of ObfaScript which is JavaScript when you squeeze out all the white space and make every name one letter so that nobody can understand the program. <clears throat> but a lot of them are fairly short, and there's no particular reason why the company would care if, a, if their JavaScript program would, were free, and no particular reason they would stubbornly refuse to do it if they had people pushing them to do it. <clears throat> so I have high hopes that if we can get enough people to start complaining that they'll start doing that they'll start making most JavaScript programs free <clears throat> so 
here you see how we propose for people to label their free uh, compressed or compacted JavaScript programs, <clears throat> how to say where to find the source code, and uh, how to change browsers so that, A, they won't run non-free JavaScript programs that are non-trivial, and B, so that you can reliably get a chance to run modified versions of the free JavaScript programs. Because here's a peculiar wrinkle. If you automatically run the JavaScript that comes in the web page, if you don't have a chance to say, no, don't run that version, run my version, then in effect you don't really have the freedom to change that program. It's the same kind of problem that TiVoization causes, even though this is a different mechanism. It isn't TiVoization. But it has the same result, which is that theoretically you can change the program. It's just that when you're running it over here, you can only run the unchanged version. And thus, it's unacceptable for the same reason TiVoization is unacceptable. Practically speaking, freedom one, the freedom to study and change the program, means you've got to be able to run your version instead of some other version. <coughs> Now, this is half, this is one side of the problem that web applications cause for computer users' freedom. The other side has to do with the software on the server. And as I see it, the place where that's mainly an issue is when the program is used for doing your computing. That is, when you do your computing with somebody else's copy of a program, then you never control your computing because even if it's free software, he, the one who owns the copy is the one who controls it. And that's not you, so you don't control your computing. So we're going to have to reject software as a service. But this doesn't mean the majority of web servers because most of them are doing a, a broad range of other things. And uh, the problems I see in software as a service don't apply to web servers that are used for distributing information or inviting people to search some information or <clears throat> e-commerce or for collaborative development of something. Uh, so those I see as being uh, different kinds of issues. Software as a service is a rather narrow category of web servers, but we've got to pay attention to it. If somebody says, don't do your computing by running the program yourself, let us run it for you, this is something you have to watch out for. But for now, we're going to tackle the JavaScript side of things, which is very directly distribution of non-free software to the user. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> well, it looks like I didn't even need all the time I've got, so I might as well move on to giving the free software awards. <clears throat> so, which one is uh, getting the award first? Beats uh, Benema. Oh. Free software award. Okay, so this one is the Free Software Award, which we will give 
to Vitz Venema, the developer of Postfix. Photographs together. Yes. Uh, camera guy. Oh, there he is. Well, I guess with that lens, you could take that picture from the back of the. <laughs> this is too big. <laughs> I think it's a standard size. Yes, but this is bigger than I expected. Oh. <laughs> Excellent. So there's a microphone up there. Say <coughs> a few words. I'm sorry, I, I didn't actually prepare any uh, speech for this, so I will keep it really, really short. Uh, thank you very much for the award. Um, it's, um, it's now almost uh, 11 years uh, since I started working on Postfix, and it has grown quite a bit, uh, not just in size, but also in uh, functionality, which is a good thing. Um, so I think I'll leave it by here. Um, thank you very much again. See you later. And now we have the award for uh, applying the ideas of free software or free software to other social issues. And this goes to Creative Commons. <clears throat> so who is uh, accepting the award? I use some of Creative Commons' licenses, and I'm very happy with the work they do. There's just one other thing I wish they would also do, and that is start advocating the freedom to share. All the Creative Commons licenses give the users the freedom to share. Now what you need to do is start saying, this is, this is what's right, and we're doing it because it's right. Thank you. It's an incredible honor to receive this award. Uh, Creative Commons ought to be giving an award to the Free Software Foundation because without the FSF and Richard Stallman, Creative Commons would not, ha would not have been possible. Um, I, I guess one small thing people might not realize about Creative Commons is that we actually write some free software in support of our mission. In fact, Ashish is one of our software engineers, and I started off as one there. Um, and one piece of free software, uh, a very small piece, is actually JavaScript. And it's under the GPL. And the Free Software Foundation actually has used our GPL JavaScript code, um, our uh, little widget we uh, wrote to put on web pages uh, to make it easier to make donations to Creative Commons. And uh, Free Software Foundation took that. and changed it um, and used it as the uh, GPL allows. Um, 
And I guess just one other thing I would say is that um, it's interesting how um, young Creative Commons and the free culture movement, or whatever you want to call it, and I know some people say that uh, those aren't exactly the same thing, and they they aren't. Um, when you realize that Postfix is 11 years old, Creative Commons is, is six years old. I remember when Postfix was a brand new project, and everybody was still running Sendmail. So, um, uh, so we're still very young, and I, I appreciate all of the lessons that that Richard and and many of you have taught us. In particular, people like Mako Hill um, and others whose name I'm whose names I'm forgetting now. So, please continue to teach us those lessons. Um, and apply the lessons of free software um, to your other activism, including in free culture. And I just just one one other sort of this is a little bit of an apology, but I can remember uh, you know, when people were still having advocacy wars on on Usenet, and it seems like most. Then people advocating for GNU Linux were often telling programmers, you really need to release your code. And it was, even though the end goal was freedom for users, enough programmers had, had to be convinced to begin with. And I think that's the place where um, we've been in the culture <coughs> space for a while. But I, I do uh, want to begin uh, advocating from the, user, from the user's perspective um, more strongly going forward. So thanks. Thanks a lot. So we're now done. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Uh, we have a couple quick announcements. Ms. Uh, Deborah, remind me if I forget one of them. Um, First of all, please uh, take any plates and things out of the room with you because we get fined for cleanup, and that's not a good use of your membership dues. Uh, and we have an unconference tomorrow, so please make sure to submit your session ideas, ideas and look at what's there on the wiki and what's outside on the boards. Uh, and I feel like there's a third thing I'm forgetting, but we are going from here to Redline in Harvard Square. You can ask any of the staff for directions on how to get there for dinner and drinks after this. So hope to see everybody there, and please come tomorrow as well. Oh, comment forms are what I forgot. Uh, I think everybody has those. If not, they're at the registration table. This is our first attempt at turning this into a, a two-day conference. We'd really appreciate any advice you can give us uh, so far or during the day tomorrow on what we could do better for next time around. So... Thank you, everybody. The rest of the day doing, I just want to welcome everyone back and uh, say I'm excited to see so many people here. Uh, obviously, everyone came here today because they, uh, they care about freedom, or maybe you heard there was free coffee. Um, so whether a person who writes code or helps your neighbors install free software or you organize DRM boycotts in your community, you're here today because you care about free software and you decided to do something about it and even get up early on a Sunday. So that's exciting. Um, we're going to get a lot of work done today, and not only are we going to add to the tools that we have currently to promote and protect and develop free software, uh, I hope we're also going to make some great connections. 
Uh, so beyond the work that we get done today, I hope you'll take the uh, energy from this gathering back to your neighborhoods and your communities and you know your buddies on IRC and, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so take it back, but also remember to keep in touch with us. We want to hear about what you're doing in your neighborhoods. Um, you know, send us links to your stories and your blogs. Get on each other's mailing lists. So you know, stay in touch. And uh, of course, uh, if you guys didn't already know, I'm the Free Software Foundation's membership coordinator. So I want to thank everyone who's already a member and urge the rest of you to consider um, becoming a member. You can come and sign up with me at any time today. Uh, and I also hope that when you go home, you'll ask your friends and colleagues to join us because although it's really great to see uh, Lecture Hall A with a capacity of 150 looking about half full, it'd be really awesome to be at one of the larger rooms down the hall next year and see that room full. So thanks a lot. And, uh, John has a few words for us. Hello. Welcome to the first ever day two of this event. It's only ever been one day before. Um, I wanted to uh, emphasize part of what uh, Deb just talked about, which is the permanence, uh, trying to build a permanent project out of this whole event. And Libra Planet actually, Libra Planet 2009 is the name of this conference, but it's also the name of a project that we've been working on for longer than I care to admit. Um, it's an idea that started with Joshua Gay. Uh, and it has to do with getting people to organize around the world for free software activism based on geography and projects uh, and to kind of come under one umbrella that expresses some common themes that we can all get behind. And the Libra Planet Wiki that we've been using for this conference is the start of that project, really. Uh, and what we want to do is make sure that all these sessions that are happening are also making permanent contributions to this project. So the idea is that you know, if you write to the Free Software Foundation, you, you generally get an answer, usually. Um, we're not like uh, Apple, who I had to write to you know, five or six times to get an answer to a simple question. We, 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 view our, we want to be responsive to people, and we, we prioritize that. But at the same time, we need to get out of the way when it comes to some things. Every day, people write to us with great ideas about free software, and we turn into some kind of bottleneck because we only have a staff of 10 people, and there's only so many things we can work on at one time, and there's only so much we can do. So we want to have that activity and those conversations, instead of happening one-to-one -one between us and the people writing to us, uh, happen on the wiki and in a way that builds a permanent thing that other people can use. So if you write a letter that you take to your locality to get your public schools to use free software, you can put that on the wiki, then somebody else who wants to do that same thing in their locality can just find that and stumble on it in the same way that you stumble on pieces of free software that do things that you want to do with your computer. People can build on that, and people can build on that in the way that the GNU project has worked for software, but for activism. So uh, I hope in all these sessions people will keep that in mind, that you know, keep permanent notes on the wiki, even if they're not pretty, even if they're ugly and have typos. It's the same thing that happens with free software. Somebody stumbles on that, finds it, improves it, uh, and puts their version up for another person to use and find. And I think if we start following that process for activism uh, more in our movement, we can have more successes around the world and without any one central group you know, uh, being a bottleneck and, and, and uh, holding things up. So that's what I'm hoping for will come out of today. And if you have any ideas about the project uh, itself, then please talk to me about it. And I think uh, I may actually be doing a session today focused on building that project as its own uh, entity there. Um, we've also had the Floss Manuals book sprint going on uh, during this conference, and I think Adam, if you want to uh, make an announcement about that.
Kia ora, my name's uh, Adam Hyde from um, Floss Manuals. Um, we write uh, manuals about uh, how to use free software and um, we have a, a social methodology we call a book sprint. We write manuals like this. This is how to bypass internet censorship. Um, we wrote it in, in five days. And it's available for free online. We also produce books. So right now we're writing a um, manual introducing people to the command line. And uh, we're going to write it in two days um, because we think it's possible. So um, thanks to the uh, FSF, we had um, the PR that went out actually attracted 130 new members to Floss Manuals, which is incredible. For us, that's like a 25% increase in our registrations. And... Um, there have been people working overnight from all around the world um, uh, creating really fantastic content. So if you'd like to come and join us and finish it off, we want to have the manual finished by 5 o'clock today. And uh, I think it's entirely possible. We have uh, the processes to put it online immediately in book formatted PDF so that you can buy it from lulu.com um, as, a, as a book. Um, yeah, so please come and join us. If you can't make it, you can email me at adam at fossmanuals.net and um, with any one-liners um, or short scripts or anything like that, and we can also include that within the book. But if you can uh, attend the event, it would be fantastic. Thanks. Uh, so now, uh, Matt and Rob are going to tell us about how the schedule for today is going to be organized, and go. Hi, so there's three tracks to the event today. Which I don't have up here. There's... Oh, sure. The URL for the schedule is quite long. It's, we'll, uh, link it. we'll link it from the front page of the wiki in about five minutes. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I can put it in Cool. Okay. So... We have so yes, yesterday you gave us all ideas on the wiki and on post-it notes in the hallway, and at the end of yesterday we sat down, went through those, kind of found the ones that were similar and the same, and put them together. Then put those into the schedule. So, moving the bagel, we have on the free software activism track, and this is a little bit guerrilla in nature, so people might find out they're talking right now. Um, <laughs> uh, so right after this we have uh, well, here, here's the list uh, we have, if you can read my disgusting handwriting uh, we have Brian Goff Brian are you there? There he is fantastic, it's going really well so far Mark Rosenthal who I saw coming in, there he is uh, free software activism yeah uh, we have uh, Alexandre with the Linux Libre project again um, after yesterday, want to hear more about that? And also, there's a talk about uh, free software in Latin America, which we need someone to talk about. Is Ryan still here? Maybe he's not here today yet, but he may get here in time. Leave uh, up on it, which will be John, I think, and maybe Deborah as well, uh, leading that one. Uh, we have a request for the licensed love-in, which where's Brett? Okay, Donald. Where's Donald? Right there in the front row. Sorry, I'm going blind. Uh, so someone from the FSF will be able to talk about licensing. And then there's a request for a talk about free software in schools and libraries, which Dennis may be able to help us out with. You'll try? Laurie? 
Excellent. Okay, well, maybe you two could chat about that after this and see if we can get a talk together by whatever time that actually occurs. Uh, for something. 4.15. No. 15.45. We didn't put the times on these, sorry. Last minute effort. <clears throat> so for high priority projects, uh, we have Monty from uh, OG. Is he here? Okay. Uh, John Eaton is going to talk about Octave. John is here somewhere. I think he's at the back there. Yep. And we have a break. Mark Jones, who I have seen. There's Mark talking about Coreboot. And then we have a plan for a talk about phones, the Open Moco, and some of the free software stuff going on with other phone platforms. So I think John and probably Ashish, who's not here yet. No. It's opposite the efforts of Latin America. And then we have to talk about games. And there were lots of talks about games. One of them just said games on it. So <laughs> I'm not sure what that means. But uh, plans for free games, what free games might mean, that kind of thing. And then at 15.15, we're encouraging everyone who's in the Hyperite project to go over to Adam and write for half an hour. Okay? There is no excuse. And then at 15.45, we have the guys from Elfal with the camera. Uh, okay. Well, this is our suggested schedule, so we can now use this time to flip things around and that kind of thing. Um, and then the next board. And so we have a, another track for Freedom for Network Services. And the idea of this, we're going to begin with James. James is there with the Free Software Cloud. And then there are a couple of requests for talking about free Gmail and what that might mean. So again, I think Ashish. Mike, where's Ashish? He'll be here. Okay. Okay, good. So I mean, that's replacements for Gmail and also people interested in Gmail protocol stuff? Or? Gmail hacking, Gmail yeah. you know, sniffing, that kind of thing as well. Yeah. Uh, Break. Then again, social networking, people looking to write replacements for Facebook or write social networks that, again, might tie into their planet stuff, the, uh, the PNX, the Cloud9 stuff again. Uh, YouTube and search, replacing those with free software, free network services. Um, free data and Slurpee. You know Slurpee is a term that I believe Evan mentioned the other night. It's also a drink. <laughs> this part sponsored by 7-Eleven. Good point. Yeah, well pointed out, man. We've already dodged the trademark bullet. We're doing there that. we go. Um, but I think that was the idea of basically having some kind of tool that you could use. You just point it at Facebook and it like sucks out all your information out of Facebook and puts it into this new wonderful free thing. And then there's the idea of free servers, free hosting, and free storage and what that might mean. And then there was a request for a talk about a policy towards free network services, which, um, again, we need to talk about. So, got a pen right here. This is how agile we are. Well, this is that too. So, 
you guys mentioned that you have to leave earlier. So maybe we could swap Elful with the phones. How does that sound to people? Is that going to be okay? Is that so putting you in at 145? Is that that's cool? Okay, great. Hopefully next year there'll be a web application for uh, doing these boards. That's social, networks. social networks. That's the Slurpee. Yeah. You want to combine them? Well, this is about free data, not just about free Facebook. So this is about all free data. So that might be a little bit much to get into half an hour replacing Facebook and data and slurping things. Are you volunteering to talk about slurping? <laughs> Okay, sound effects provided by Avi. Okay. So you have noticed here, at the end here, there are these big, huge gaps. And these gaps are not intentional. Uh, no, they are, they are intentional. they're not accidental. Sorry, sure. I'm not woken up yet. They're not accidental. Um, during these spaces, we have lots and lots and lots of little five-minute sessions set out. And so if you have, and there's no excuse for not having, some of you, something to talk about. It could be... Check out my website, or check out this thing I'm working on, or this idea I'm thinking about doing. This is the time to talk about it. If you want to talk about something, come up to the board, take the Sharpie, and write in your schedule here. And if you can, also add it to the wiki, because it'll keep Bradley happy. <coughs> so, um, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to stampede. I mean, that would. Stampede for me right now. Come on. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> you can? <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. <laughs> so um, does this seem reasonable to people? Anyone got any suggestions or changes to make to this one? So in like 25 minutes, we're going to have... Sorry? They go, they go across. They do. They go across, yeah. So if you draw a line in... Here and in here, they go in. The stampede was a minute ago. Sorry, the stampede's over. I'm kidding. Come, come, stampede. Uh, I, I was thinking that uh, in, so, in network services, what is the most basic network service? Money, money. So a free PayPal? So, so the, exactly. Okay. The, the dollar bill mm -hmm. is, it's, even though you've got it in your pocket, they're stealing from you by depreciating its value. Okay. The U.S. Constitution specifies <laughs> that the only money you can have is gold and silver, therefore assuring that you cannot be stolen from. So if we're talking you know, like free software, we should talk like free money. That's not really a network service, though. Well, <laughs> no, 
it, it's a Patti Smith song. I don't like Facebook, but I do like money, so the two <laughs> seem exactly, opposite. Exactly, you like money. Okay. Uh, and it's so important. So yeah, yeah if, seven, if, five minutes so, well, This is for the five minutes serving it. Yeah, yeah, put, uh, right, right. Now. You yeah, yeah, that's enough. So cool, okay. Excellent. Great. Pen, write it in. Well, free money, it, it sounds funny, right? Each track is in its own room. The uh, rooms, Deborah has the room. They are like 109, up 110, there and over there. 113, I think. We will. Okay, hang on. So can we get a microphone into the audience and can people who want to talk use the microphone because that would work a lot better. Who wants to talk? Stand up, you want to talk. Just a, just a real quick question. Um, okay. How rigidly do you expect to stick to these schedules? I mean, if I want to be at the Slurpee one and I figure, okay, that's 2.45, am I going to get there and find that, well, there was a little slack and so... And no, so there will be, there will be people. So in, e in each conference, I will be handling network services, Rob will be handling, handling projects, and Deborah will be handling the activism, and we are going to make you stop. You're okay. going to be there with a whip. We will dive in front of the boards. We will snatch microphones. We'll do whatever we have to do to stick to the schedule. Uh, that being said, though, there's, uh, we, we have a lot of skills. We do a semester yeah. space. If this, yeah, no. Okay, so uh, we're going to do the Free Software Activism track in 111. Do you want to write that here? Uh, as you can see, Freedom for Network Services is going to be in room 110. Um, and then I think we're going to do high priority projects in room 113. And uh, right now we have uh, flash manuals. Are you guys in 109 or are you moving across the hall? It doesn't matter to Huh? Oh, you're in. Uh, yeah. Okay. So flash manuals is 112. Um, we have for overflow uh, room 109, which is a little bit bigger and close to the, the other tracks. Uh, we also have 103B, which is smaller, so if you, you know, get really excited in a session and want to take, like, two people down the hall, 103B is great for that. And uh, 101B, although there's a few suitcases in there, so you'll be also watchdogging luggage while you have your excitement uh, small group in there. Uh, and then this room is uh, available to us all day, so, um, you know, you can come sit in here or, you know, do whatever yeah, you like. Yeah, this so. is the command center. Exactly. And, the and I do request that we all refer to it as the command center as well. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, did you, oh, you wrote Okay, so if people are happy with this, are people happy with this? <coughs> Have the dance from Jason there. Is anybody unhappy with this? If you are, raise your hand. One man. Microphone right there, in front of Adam. 
<laughs> Speakers cannot raise their hands. I'm unhappy that they are unhappy. Oh, okay. We're going to make them happy right now. Uh, in front of Adam, right there. Just, yeah. Raise your hand if you want to speak. Keep it raised. I can't figure out how to be uh, in two places at once. <laughs> the quantum physics track is over to the left. It's just entangled with the others, so you can't see it. That's a question of faith, I think. You can't Okay, uh, Brian at the top. Rob, Brian. <laughs> Hi. Um, is there a specific time where we can have a key signing session? So for key signing, there will be a room available all day. I suggest we make some vague... We can have key signing in the command center if that works for people. It would be good to have some specific times as well. Okay. Uh, key signing at... Yeah, how about during this half... I think that works really well to have key signing There's a break here that's half an hour long, so we could actually have key signing during this break. Yeah. Sunshine, uh, it can be right out in front of Lecture Hall A again. Yeah. So that's the half hour break yeah. at 2 o'clock, quarter past uh, 2? Yeah, quarter past 2. We have a question there from Peebo. Sorry. Peebo. It's the new thing. <clears throat> yeah, I was going to suggest that uh, perhaps the signs ought to be near the rooms so that you can pop out of one room, look at the schedule, and. Pick yeah, I think, I think what we'll do is after this, we'll get them to the rooms, but get any information that's relevant to all of them on this, uh, on the blackboards. That doesn't work, and you know that doesn't work. It's also going to be on the wiki. It's going to be on the wiki, and is it now linked from the front page yeah, of the wiki? And I think uh, we'll have chalkboards in each of the tracks. Yeah. So the five-minute sessions... As uh, people sign up for them, they can just put them on the chalkboard in that room. So anytime you can come and, you know, or ping someone on uh, Poundly Free Planet on Freenode, like, hey, has anything come up in your room on the five-minute tracks? It was awesome. So, uh, or you can just come and put your head in and look at the chalkboard. Typing the word free node. Why am I calling it typing? Huh? Oh, they're both. Okay. If you know free node, you can get it on free node as well. Five rooms and one piece of chalk. This is amazing. <laughs> There's like 400 years worth of stuff down here as well. Uh, Rob's found another piece of chalk. Actually, there's a box of chalk over here. Key signing is at uh, so fourteen fifteen. Oh, and then key signing is outside 
14.15. For half an hour. But do remember to have a cup of coffee and a bagel or something as well. Um, Bradley, do you want to come up here quickly and just tell people what key signing will be and what will they need to bring and things? So type, uh, if you want to come to the key signing, type gpg dash dash finger and whatever information, uh, finger your own username, and whatever information that gives you, that's what you need on a piece of paper to give to people. You need an individual piece of paper for each person you want to exchange with. That's probably all you need desperately. There are other things about key signings that probably don't matter. Much. Yeah, some people like to see ID. See, I'm not really an ID person, so I, I don't really care. But other people like Some people to see want ID. ID, some people don't want ID. I don't trust the, what the government documents say about you. That's the free money talk right there. Okay. Uh, Deb, I think command center should be an RE, not an ER. It's a zero. Speak American. Speak American. Okay. Uh, so if if everyone's happy with this, maybe you could use this opportunity to add five minute talks to the wiki. If you have laptops, if you don't have laptops, find a friend with a laptop. Right. But you should try and do both so that we don't end up with two things at the same time. Oh. So uh, put your five-minute track on the chalkboard um, in the track that, it's, that it goes to, uh, but also try and get it onto the wiki at the same time because otherwise we end up with two things happening at once. Well, so the, you should actually talk not to the wiki, but to not, to, not to the chalkboard, but to these things. Oh. So the post-it notes and Sharpies outside each room next to one of these boards. Oh. Add your talk on there. On a post-it note, and there will be a finite number of post-it notes as well to uh, ensure things don't go crazy. Okay, we so we actually have a little extra time. Yeah, we do. There's still probably coffee in the hallway if people want to go and get it. There's probably still bagels and things, and people can come back. Hang on, John's going to talk. Uh, You'll notice that we end at 5 o'clock, the wind-down time. So um, when I was talking about permanence and keeping notes and things like that earlier, that's the time when we're all going to come back in here at the end of the day. And hopefully everybody from uh, each session, somebody from each session will take a minute or two and, and tell everybody else what happened in that session. So since we can't be in two places at once, um, we can still get some idea of what everybody was doing, what was going on here. So hopefully if in each group you keep a, either a page on our wiki or your own wiki, and then can point everybody to that link uh, when you come back in here and give us some idea of what happens and what projects people might like if to get you, involved with. If you can, and you have the ability to do so with a laptop, record the audio, if you can, uh, in Ogvorbis. And we will post it to the website. Okay, I think we are done here for now. So 11 o'clock, rooms 111, 110, and 113. We have uh, Monty, if he shows up. Monty, hey! Okay, Monty's at the back there. We have Brian Goff, right over there. And we have James, Free Software Cloud. 
So uh, go and get caffeinated, eat bagels, do lots of things, and we'll be back at 11. Come on, microphone. Hey, I think we're all out here. Uh, is Dad here? Hey, so uh, thank you for coming back. Uh, before we get started, I'd like to introduce uh, a man very dear to all of us, uh, FSF board member Benjamin Mako Hill. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't have I don't have anything prepared. Um, um, is this yeah? So so I just uh, I just came from the the board meeting which was today, and I. We've uh, accepted Microsoft's buyout offer. Uh, uh, the staff's all fired. No, just kidding. Um, uh, 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 no, uh, uh, all, 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 all good news. I just wanted to say that um, uh, because of the board meeting, I was able to miss at least today's, uh, today's and because of coming down with the, the, the flu, of course, like the, the day before uh, the meeting, I managed to uh, miss some of the talks yesterday. But I've, um, um, from what I've seen, it's all been great. I'm really looking forward to catching up uh, by uh, looking at some of the recordings and also looking at the, some of the notes that people have produced in the sessions today. Um, I tried to sort of uh, follow what was going on as I could on the wiki and spaces uh, 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 over the, uh, uh, during the board meeting. And I want to say thank everyone who's come out. And for the, those of you who are sort of stuck through this and, and have contributed a lot, uh, just thank you very much. I think that this has been um, a, a, a real success. And uh, uh, I look forward to seeing everyone at the next one. Uh, all right. Oh, at Grendel's? I think that's, I don't know, man. That's a long, too boring. Uh, but but uh, we can decide what we're going to be after. Hello? Okay, yeah. So uh, as, part, as, well, as well as the three tracks that happened today, we've also had the last two days, uh, the Floss Manuals guys, led by Adam here, uh, making a book. So Adam's going to give us a quick uh, update. Hopefully we finish the book. <laughs> Here we go. This is, uh, okay, I think you might have to just reduce the resolution. Just okay. Oh, that's a, <laughs> wow, it's an enormous pointer. Get it. So, um, yeah, we, we spent um, two days, um, more or less nine to five days. Um, the Free Software Foundation sent some PR out uh, two days ago, and we had um, 130 people register to, to uh, FLOSS manuals, which for us is just fantastic. Um, and in two days, we, um, we wrote a 169-page manual about how to use um, the command line. It's an introduction... <coughs> For, uh, for newbies, newbies. Um, the content is available for free. Um, you can always see it on the Floss Manuals uh, site. Um, and this is just probably, I can't really see it so well. But you see the index on the left, and it goes through very carefully through. You know, for somebody who's never used uh, the command line before, it just explains what the command line is, um, the anatomy of a, of a command, um, then it goes through basic commands, um, more advanced stuff, piping, history. Then it goes through even more advanced things, and then finally it, um, into scripting. And so this was written by, um, I don't know, roughly about, um, actually you can see, everything, all the credits are um, tracked automatically. 
Um, and so you can see if we scroll down, it's under the GFDL, the FDL and the um, um, uh, GPL. And so these are the people that have contributed to the various chapters. So it's automatically logged and, um, and recognized and credited. Um, so in addition to that, uh, if you go to the Frost Manual's front site, you can actually buy. It's already available as a book. So we just published it like 10 minutes ago. And um, hot off the press. And uh, uh, it's uh, available in the Floss Manuals bookstore. And, um, yeah, it's uh, in book form or free online. And you can, you can come along to Floss Manuals, go to the right section at any time, um, update and edit the content, add new chapters, improve it, do whatever you want. And we can update those sources both online and uh, in the book within a matter of minutes. So, yeah. Um, yeah, zero to book in two days. This is a good effort. Thank you. Okay. Uh, thank you, Adam. Okay, so uh, should we just move this thing? This is amazing. I want one in my house. Uh, so we had three tracks today, and uh, I thought what we'd do is get everyone, get the uh, people who manage the tracks up to uh, introduce the people for the various talks. So uh, if I think first we'll have Deb, who led the free software activism, which is on this huge piece of card somewhere. There we are. Okay. Uh, yeah, go to the podium. Okay. And maybe if people who run these, who run these things want to come down and, and say a few words as well. Well, we actually, um, not to show up the other two tracks, but we actually took notes in our track, so. We actually encased the bodies of people who gave talks in lead, so. Shit. <laughs> Matt always wins. Um, I'll, uh, well, so we, um, we did the free software activism track, and, uh, maybe people can raise their hands, and like, so I think we have everyone come down, and we won't have time for the other two. Okay. Uh, so we talked to Brian Goff first about uh, GNU Hackers meetings. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Mark Rosenthal uh, gave a talk about how to um, make connections with decision makers. Then we had um, an update on Linux Libre with Alex uh, Oliva. And then uh, Ryan McGarrels, uh joined still by Alex, uh, talked about free software in Latin America. Then um, John Sullivan came in and talked with us about Libre Planet. Um, and after that, oh, wait, I skipped too far. Um, oh, no, I guess not. License. Oh, then we did the license love-in, um, I think. Did you name it that? I did, yeah. Okay. Uh, with Donald and Brett. Um, and that was, uh, people had a lot of questions about the AGPL in there, so I, I tried to store some of that info. Then we had a little bit of a, a roundtable talking about schools and libraries, and we realized that, Holy crap, we put a lot of stuff into uh, one session because when we started talking about libraries, we realized there were at least three different aspects of libraries that we would be talking about. So there's like the public terminal you go in and use, there's what gets scanned in for archiving, and then there's digital media that you borrow from the library. So we ended up having um, our leftover lightning talks on schools and in specific high schools. Um, we did uh, a couple other lightning talks. I talked about running effective um, in real-time meetings. Uh, we had an update from the League for Programmer Freedom. Uh, we had a little bit of a chat about uh, human rights and the concept of free software from Alex. Um, 
Donald came back and told us um, more patent crap, uh, basically that uh, the poor people working at the USPTO um, are just never, ever, ever going to effectively be able to search for prior art unless we do something about that. And then we heard about what is going on in Romania from uh, Marius, who I... Oh, yep, okay. So, yeah, it was very exciting. We, uh, we talked a lot about making connections, so it was a good, good day. Fantastic. I think we have a round of applause for those people, please. Hello? Okay. Uh, Rob Myers ran a track on the high-priority projects. Um, so you know what this is. The high-priority projects are essentially a bunch of projects that we at the FSF identify as being the current main concerns for free software. So the things like Flash and Skype, which are programs that a lot of people who use free software tend to install, uh, perhaps against better judgment, because there are no free alternatives. And so... Uh, this track was about that. So I'll hand over to Rob. Hello. Excellent. So we started off finding out about Ogtheora, which is the free video codec, and uh, found out all the trade-offs between different ways of compressing video and what the alternatives are, and where Ogtheora fits into the ecosystem for free video. And then we found out about the history and current structure of the GNU Octave project, which is a free alternative to... Not mathematical. MATLAB, thank you. I, I don't do much math, so that's... Um, but that, again, that's good. Coreboot is a free BIOS, which personally I really want to get on my laptop, but apparently that's really hard. So that's not going to be just yet. But Coreboot will free the last bit of your computer from proprietary software which is the BIOS that actually loads the operating system. Um, after that, we had Elfel, Elf, which I thought was really cool. It's a sort of free HD video camera where both the software and the design and configuration of the hardware are free. And I just had visions of arrays of those being used by Hollywood movies or for medical imaging with it. I think it could be really good. And after the break, we had a kind of open discussion about games, which was quite interesting for me because a lot of it was focused around the practical side of getting games compiled and installed and just running on GNU Linux distros, which apparently gamers who want to run cutting-edge games, even when they're actually written for GNU Linux, sometimes have trouble doing that. So that's quite interesting. Um, after that, we went to visit the... Floss Manuals, guys. You've just seen the Floss Manual for GNU Linux commands, which I think is amazing. And then it was phones, which I didn't get to go to. Yeah, uh, so for the phones thing, uh, we did a bit of a swap around, and uh, John and I went to the phones thing, and John gave a demonstration of the OpenMoco Freerunner. Uh, he managed to break his phone just before the talk, so uh, <laughs> didn't go too well. And I showed my uh, my unlocked Google Android phone, and we basically came to the conclusion that while, like, you know, having a, a phone that runs a lot of free software, but not all free software is, you know, not a bad thing, uh, we ultimately want the free runner to be the phone of choice. And one way you can support that is to buy a free runner. Okay. And nobody seemed to want to do a five-minute slot. They're all wanting to hear the free software song. So that was it for the day. <laughs> no. <laughs> Okay. Somebody, 
At the end, we'll, at the end, we'll all have a little sing song. Okay. Well, you're going to be surprised when we hear what we had on the uh, network services. I can see that the the, uh, the timing of this could be excellent at the back there. So this could work out quite well. So on the network services track, uh, we spoke initially about the free software cloud. We had James Duncan come down from Montreal and explain some of the things that uh, he's doing. And uh, quite rightly, I think, uh, Bradley kind of called him to task on it and said, you know, hey, where's your source code and your mailing lists and things? And so... We came up with a plan to uh, put together a list of demands for him to take back with him, and then he promptly vanished. <laughs> uh, Ashish and uh, Bradley again spoke a little bit about uh, the ideas of free Gmail, and uh, I forget what the name of that thing is. What's the Yakto Reader? Yakto Reader, which is a it's like Google Reader, but it's free software. We currently have a front end for that, but no back end. So there was the discussion about about getting that into place. And then we had social networking chats about uh, getting Facebook and the notions of a free Facebook. And then Charles gave us a little bit of a demonstration, uh, sorry, a little bit of a discussion about his new project, which I've forgotten the name of, I'm sorry. <coughs> we spoke briefly about YouTube, and Ganesh, Rob, uh, Rob Savoy came and spoke to us a little bit about Signal, which is a new media server that the Ganesh developers have produced. Uh, so now as well as being able to have a free Flash front-end, you could actually have a free Flash back-end. So now you can actually set up your own alternative to YouTube. And we came up with the name GNUtube, which is registered to a guy in Costa Rica or something. Um, then uh, we had a break, and some key signing took place. And we came back and spoke about the ideas of the free data and Slurpee, which I was not there for. So, Rob... You were at this one, remember? We switched to the switcher roof thing with the phone thing, so you were at this one. I was at the policy. I'm just, I'm confused. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was there for that one. Um, Ashish spoke about the idea of using using Facebook in a certain way to pull out information and to essentially by uh, forcibly breaking the terms of service on things like Facebook, you set a precedent that essentially we're not going to take this nonsense from people like Facebook. We spoke about free soft, free servers and... Please come and sing that. We spoke about free servers, hosting, storage, uh, the idea of setting up personal servers that run on uh, like 300 or so servers on a big machine that run very cheaply that people can purchase. And then there was the policy towards free network services, which I was not there for. So Mike stepped up for that one, and it was discussion of how, well, when I was there, it was discussion of how much can be done by lobbying government to try and keep the network free, and in contrast, how much should be done to actually work practically to keep the network free using free software and how narratives of um, trying to keep the network free using government lobbying need to be complemented with a bit of free software to actually work to make sure the network is practically free as well. Okay, and then we went to the five-minute talk thing. We had a few. Uh, Bradley, of course, not satisfied with five minutes, insisted on ten, and uh, spoke with Danny about the... Uh, 
new website they've set up today, which is uh, code.autonomous. Or auto. Dot... Even faster than being set up. Uh, <laughs> okay. But yes, it's coming soon. And, uh, and then Kat from Wikimedia came and spoke about the licensing changes that are potentially going on over there and the voting. And unlike Rob Myers and his hyper-A projects, we actually had musical interludes. And Kat is now going to perform for us on the recorder the Free Software song. discussion, I think somebody made a joke about what would appear on GNU Tube, and it was like, oh, it would just be recordings of, like, RMS and the free software songs are posted, like, on the recorder right here. <laughs> About the song? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, Can you come down here and say on the microphone? Or say on the yeah, grab that. Oh, okay. Um, this uh, was a song to, you know, was the dance, was, was the music to a dance that we used to do at the MIT Folk Dance Club that was taught by Yves Moreau from, uh, I think he's from in Montreal. And you know, I, I have a bit of a you know folk dance uh, music collection. So when I noticed uh, you know a couple of years ago that Stallman had written words to it and the words were actually on the web, I went looking through my record collection for uh, do I have recording the melody? No. So I figured, oh well, it must be on the web somewhere. Can't find it. Um, eventually, I located Eve Moreau's website and. Um, you know, it's not on there either, and I'd like to suggest that somebody should approach Eve Moreau and see if he'd be willing. It, it looks like this is something that he personally collected while you know being a you know folklorist traveling through what was then Yugoslavia. So, uh, assuming Eve Moreau is still alive, um, I you know I'd like to suggest that we approach him and uh, you know and re- request that he license it under an open license. Or, uh, better yet, a free license. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I misspoke. A free license. That's okay. We'll forgive you. Just uh, pay the fine on the way out. Thank you. Okay. Uh, and we had a brief discussion about free money, which I uh, did not fully understand. And then I spoke briefly. But actually, no, prior to that, Danny spoke. Where's Danny? Danny's over there. About the uh, wonderful USB memory cards that the uh, FSF now offers as a bonus when you become a member. And uh, Deb, do you want to say a few words about becoming a member? Look at this. Danny's bringing the card down. Oh. Uh, who here is already a member? Ooh, that's that's pretty good, but not perfect. Um. <laughs> uh. <laughs> um. Oh yeah. So Brad has one in the cards. Are you? Uh, show it off. Okay. So um, 
in an effort to bribe, I mean, encourage people to become members, uh, we decided to update the existing bootable membership card into a super slim credit card sized USB card that fits like in your wallet. It's got a, a gig of space on it and it's running a fully bootable GNU Sense version. So you can just put that in there and you have an entire operating system. Uh, plus I think the free software songs on there. Uh, so those of you... Of course they can edit it and do whatever they want. Uh, those of you who are already members know how you entered the secret cabal. I'm going to uh, explode the myth and let you know just how easy it is. Uh, you just give us $10 a month. Or you can do it as lump sum of $120 for the year. Or if you're a student, we'll let you get away with just half of that, or $5 a month. Uh, you can do it online. Or if the impulse sways you this very minute, you can come up to me and give me your credit card. Um, or cash. Or cash. And we also accept personal checks or money orders. Yes. Yes. So we take um, goals, I think, yeah. In addition to the bootable membership card, uh, you also get an FSF email address. Um, and you get the bulletin twice a year. And you get 20% off all of our books and T-shirts. And uh, you get access to our exclusive member forum. And the exclusive members forum. You do have to do with Danny. Yes. <laughs> the warm glow of the supporting glow free software is why Club. you would really do it. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so I think that's, uh, that's about wrapping up. Okay, go to that website, dog. Okay, um, thank you all for coming. Um, the only thing to say now is if you can help us at all with the general like packing things away, that'd be uh, that'd be amazing. Take your bottles, take your cans, whatever you've got around by your feet, just pick it up and take it with you. That'd be fantastic. And also, uh, we are going to Grendel's Den. Nine o'clock in Harvard Square. Oh. People who are hungry now are going to Mary Chung's. Okay. Thank you for coming and see you next year. And finally, let's get a round of applause for the organizers for, for everyone who put this together. All right. singing the free software song. If, uh, if anyone wants to, you can now do some more key signing as well. Uh, key signing out in the and out in the corridor outside for key signing, please.
Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.